Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. The dictionary defines casting director as the person responsible for assigning roles in a film, play, or other productions. Okay, but what does that really entail? Well, we're about to find out. Jamie Beth Margulies, my guest today, has spent more than 20 years as a professional casting director in New York, working for several agencies before going out on her own. Her credits include the Broadway and national touring companies of such hits as The Phantom of the Opera, Les Mis, Miss Saigon, The Producers, and Cats. There's Off-Broadway, Fiddler on the Roof in Yiddish, Sisters, the musical, This One's for the Girls, and the tour of Rebel Rebel, The Many Lives of David Bowie, to name just a few. Jamie Beth's resume also includes working as assistant director to Tony Award winner Jerry Zachs on the Broadway revival of the Kane Mutiny Court Martial and Jules Pfeiffer's A Bad Friend, performed at Lincoln Center Theater. A member of Actors' Equity, the Casting Society of America, the State Directors and Choreographers Society, Jamie Beth also teaches musical theater acting and audition technique at studios in New York City and serves on the BFA acting faculty at Pace University and BFA musical theater faculty at New Jersey's Ryder University. She received a degree in drama directing from Ithaca College. So, Jamie Beth, welcome and thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. You know, when I was writing this, I was struck by this commercial that I want to start off. There's a little girl who says, my mother always washes the dishes before she puts them in the dishwasher. And then she looks at the camera and then she says, so what does a dishwasher do? That's what kept coming up in my head as I was talking about a casting director. But before we do tackle that, did you always know that you would be in theater on some level in some way or another? Yes, I definitely got the theater bug. I can remember the exact day in sixth grade (laughs) when the music teacher at my middle school asked my father, because they taught together, if it was okay if she asked me to be in the school production of Oklahoma. And my father said, sure. In middle school, they're putting this on? I mean, yes. Okay. Six, mm-hmm. Yeah, sixth, seventh, and eighth okay. grade. Okay. Um, down in South Jersey. And my father said, sure, that sounds great. So she asked me to do Oklahoma. And that was the end. I was totally bitten by the theater bug. I knew I had to do it. I loved it so much. So sixth grade. Was that just an arbitrary selection on her part, or she saw something in you? Did you raise your hand in class a lot? Were you very engaging? It's just kind of a funny way to start, you know? Right. And I always loved music. Mm -hmm. I had been in her class, and I'd also been in choir with her and taking piano lessons and so forth. Okay, so so it wasn't a miscast. I would probably like it. Uh Yes. (laughs) Did one play or musical follow Oklahoma as you went through school? Yes, it was um, then Guys and Dolls, Mm -hmm. then Annie Get Your Gun. Then I went to high school, and we did 42nd Street and Hello, Dolly. Wow. (laughs) Yes, South Jersey loves musicals, big musicals. Yeah, no kidding. So then it was just an obvious move to go and study this in college. Yes, I knew I wanted to very much. That you wanted to what? Be an actress? A no, professional I knew I wanted act- to be in theater. Mm-hmm. Actually, by the time I was applying to college, I'd already decided to be on the other side of the table and not to be in acting. Mm-hmm. I knew I loved it. I had the theater bug. I love actors. I love creative people. I love collaboration. But I didn't actually want to be an actor after a certain point. Yeah, because that's a really hard profession. I mean, it's so competitive, and there's so many ups and downs. As much as it gives so much joy, 
it also gives a lot of angst. It does. And um, knowing a lot of actors, mm-hmm. yeah, I definitely <laughs> felt even then um, around my junior year of high school that I knew I really had a passion for the business, but not necessarily for being on the audition scene every single day. So what did that mean to you, the business, when you were in school? In my high school, the theater program was big. Mm-hmm. It was um, very extravagant. We had, we had a director who loved everything about putting on big, splashy musicals and rehearsing us seven days a week. So I got to understanding that I love the creative process. I love the discipline of it. I love the creativity and kind of the camaraderie. I made so many friends that I still have Hmm. now doing high school plays. Mm -hmm. But I also knew that I would rather be her than up there. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, it's funny as you're talking about that in your high school. In my high school, we put on plays like The Importance of Being Earnest. Nothing very sexy about that. So you knew that you wanted to be on the other side, but was it still a little ill-formed when you It was. When I first went to college, I actually decided that I was going to try my hand at stage management first before directing. So I kind of started as a stage manager, which was very helpful with in terms of um, learning all the sides of the designers, lighting, scenic and costumes, learning about everything that goes into the process in terms of budgeting and who's on the team. But by the time I got to actually declaring what I was doing, I knew I was directing. Did you stage manage plays at Ithaca? I did. And did you direct plays at Ithaca? I did, yes, both. Was it nerve-wracking? Was it giving you the greatest high? Yes, stage management was very exciting to me. But fraught, too, no? But fraught, yes. And Ithaca had a lot of designers who had graduated from Ithaca who were prolific on Broadway. Designers such as the lighting designer Paul Gallo, sound designer Tony Miola, and so forth. So they would come and do master classes with us as stage managers, Uh which was extremely exciting, getting advice from these people that you see on the posters and you look up to. Um, And then my junior year at Ithaca, I did a year-long stage management internship at the McCarter Theater in In Princeton. Princeton. So how did that work? You did that in the summertime? It was all year for credit. Oh, because Princeton is in New Jersey and Ithaca is upstate New York. So I would write them reports every week on what we were doing and who we were working with. Wow. And it was a definite master class in both stage management and directing. Yes, and just as an aside, I did have um, Emily Mann here, which was such oh, a thrill. Amazing. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Definitely a inspiration to me. Oh, I bet. So, okay, Jamie, Beth, you graduate. Then what happens? Right, so I moved to New York during the week between graduation and finishing school because I knew I really wanted to come to the city. Well, you were determined. I was very determined. I didn't want any kind of break that was going to stop everything Mm up. So when I came here, I started applying for internships in casting because one of the biggest pieces of advice I got from all these professionals at Ithaca College was, as a director, if you have a great cast, 99% of your job is done for you. Everyone kept telling me this. I had a realization when I moved here that as much as I love Broadway and commercial theater, which I always have, I've always loved it, I've always been drawn to it, you know, no one necessarily wants to hire a director to direct a $14 million musical when they're 22. Of course. And and right out of college. Mm -hmm. So I took this casting advice to heart and started applying for casting internships while working to make money. And I got very lucky to receive a casting internship at Johnson Lift Casting Associates, who at the time 
you could consider to be the biggest casting office in New York. They're no longer around, unfortunately. But when I walked in the door, the first thing that I saw from my interview was this giant board that took up the entire wall that had every company of Les Miserables, Phantom of the Opera, Miss Saigon, and Cats across the entire North America. So Broadway, tours, companies. Toronto. Uh-huh. It had every role in every show listed down on magnets and sliders and who was playing it. And would all of those shows their clients? Yes. Yes, they Whoa. they they were all their clients. They worked a lot on the Cameron Mackintosh musicals, the Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals, and the mega musicals. I saw this board and I thought, I have to work here. Yeah, duh. Uh-huh. I really want to work here. And I got very lucky. They gave me an internship, mm-hmm. which turned into a casting assistant job, a casting associate job, and a casting director job spanning 10 years with that organization. Wow, wow. So that was a really vital match. Yes, it was incredible. So let me go back to that first statement that I made. So what does the dishwasher do? Take us through all of that. It's a wonderful question because casting director's job description remains a very large mystery to most people. Um, They see us in the playbill. They know that we're there. But what we actually do definitely remains a mystery to people. Mm -hmm. I like to think of myself and all casting directors as the yes person in the room. So we are a collaborator. We're part of the creative team, part of the creative process. It's our job as the casting director to listen to the director, the musical director, sometimes the writers and choreographer, about what the needs of a particular show are and to serve the creative team with the best possible people for their vision of that particular show. So in listening to all these people, I think about who do I want to bring in? Who do I want to show? What am I looking for at an open call or a required call? But the best part of it is, is that once I decide who to bring in, I get to be that yes person. I, as an actor, a casting director is your best friend. I want you to get the job. I want you to be terrific. I want you to be the answer to my day so we can all go home happy. I'm also that person who can get up and go out in the hallway and give an actor a tip. Hey, I've been seeing everybody sing this, and you should probably sing this instead. But who are are you reaching out to? Are you calling agents? Does an actor sign up with a casting agency? We use, you know, they're not allowed to do that. So what we do is we use agents, managers, Mm -hmm. and directly to actors. And you put the call out. And the way that we do that now is all electronic. So we use a service usually called Breakdown Services, which reaches out to all of the agents and managers, and we, we click which city we want. And then it also reaches out to all of the actors who are members of Actors Access. So you can, as an actor, see my breakdown, self-submit to me for a project. You can even leave me a little note, like I play the piano or I'm fluent in Spanish. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then So when I go through all the submissions and decide who to bring in and who to call in by appointment, I can see everybody, the represented actors and the self-submitted actors. So where does my agent fit into this? Right. So I look at my relationship with the agents and managers as extremely important. They're the seller and I'm the buyer. 
So if they sign a new actor, they can say to me, I just signed this wonderful, wonderful actor fresh out of Carnegie Mellon. I know you don't know them, but they're perfect for your project. Will you take a risk and bring them in for this project? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. they're pushing the actor and then we're deciding whether or not we want to bring that actor into the room. For the can that also group. be a drag in the sense that they can be all over you? I don't look at it that way because one thing that I learned even from my very first casting internship is as a casting director, we need the agents. They will the always, middle men and they will always have someone that we hadn't thought of or someone that we need for a particular project. And our relationship with them and having a good relationship with them is extremely important. They're also vital to the actor because if you're a represented actor, your agent can call the casting director after an important Broadway audition and say, can I have some feedback? Mm. And then I can say, you know, next time they come in, they should really work on this or that. Whereas if you don't have representation, it's a lot harder to get that feedback. What about the situation where I'm putting on a musical and I want Patti LuPone? And that's the beginning and the end of it. Does that happen fairly frequently? It does. A lot of times a director, a producer, a writer will say, this is who we really envision in this part. Can you reach out to them? Can mm -hmm. you send them the script? Can you see what their interest and availability is for a particular project? And when that person is unavailable, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, does that open the door for other performers? Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes when someone is unavailable for a particular project, it does. It opens the door for new ideas that maybe a creative team hadn't thought of, which is exciting. I also think of going on in a casting call as well and it being, you know, very fraught. My stomach is kind of clenching. I mean, there you are, knees knocking. Yes, I think nerves come into play a lot with actors' auditions, and it's an actor's job to figure out what to do with those nerves. Mm -hmm. One thing that I teach a lot when I teach audition technique is learning how to use those nerves to help your audition instead of hinder your audition. So teach me. what. Right. What? So sometimes you can turn that into adrenaline and excitement. You can turn it into focus. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it really helps to make your physicality for your particular character you're creating better to channel those nerves into your physicality. So what do I know about the play or the musical that I've auditioned for? How much homework do I do? And does that information come from you, the casting director, or does it come from my agent? It comes from everyone. I give a lot of information when I put out an appointment. I tell people exactly what to bring, exactly what to sing, exactly what to read, um, you know, whether or not this show has a dialect or anything else involved with it. I tell them, you know, maybe you'll be asked to possibly come back for a dance call, so be prepared with your clothes and shoes. I give them all the information that I can possibly give them before coming in. We also have a breakdown that we issue out that has each role and the description of each role. Now, if the show is long running, as an actor, you have a great responsibility to either have seen the show, read the show, listened to the cast recording if it's like a Like a phantom kind of thing. Correct. Yeah. Um, but if it is a brand new musical, and I do a lot of those, kind of fresh off the page, the writer um, is sitting in the room with you, sometimes changing things as we go along, mm -hmm. then the amount of homework that you can do is less as an actor because you can't download the song. You can't, you know, you can do research on the writer and figure out what is their style, what are their influences, what other projects have they worked on, what kinds of actors do they like to work with, but you don't have the same amount of information. So in your part of the profession, your focus has been and continues to be musicals? 
I do musicals and plays, kind of equally, actually, yes. And what's an average number of clients that a casting director might have? We as casting directors are an employee of the producer. Oh, so you have to be hired by David Merrick. Correct. And is it more than one casting director per show? Never. Never. Okay, so you're not competing with anybody else. No. Uh-uh. Once you're engaged on a show, you're engaged usually exclusively on that show unless there's a what I like to call a specialty casting director involved. So sometimes if a show has a lot of small children, mm. there'll be a separate casting director for the children, but you'll collaborate with that person. It's not a competition. As you say that, I'm thinking specifically of The Ferryman, this wonderful Broadway show that has a baby. Have you ever seen that before? I have. I've cast a lot of kids, never babies. But Uh um, with Miss Saigon, our Tams are always four years old. So that's Kim's son Mm -hmm. in Miss Saigon. So we would look for real four-year-olds. Luckily, I was the one doing the whole cast, including that. And casting the kids was one of my favorite parts of casting Miss Saigon. So They were so adorable. So that's an interesting thing that you say. The casting task can be divided up by different casting directors that you may be providing the dancers and I'm providing the ensemble singers. Yes, but that's very rare. Usually it is one casting director doing Doing everything. Yeah. So take me through it and let's use your most recent example of Fiddler on the Roof in Yiddish. How did that come to be and why? Right. Fiddler on the Roof in Yiddish has been an exciting casting process for me. I have enjoyed every minute of it from working with the iconic Joel Gray as the director um, a very that's huge, yeah. Yes, a, a amazing experience for me. A very experienced team as well. Um, that show, though, brings with it something completely different than anything else I've cast because it is not in English. Yeah, did that strike you as being odd when the when the idea first came to you? It did not because I've seen Fiddler on the Roof. Oh, probably over a dozen times Mm -hmm. on Broadway, on tour. I saw it with my grandparents in Atlantic (laughs) City at the Harris with Theodore Bacall when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. I always loved Fiddler. It's one of my favorite shows. And when I thought about it, I thought, well, actually, this makes a lot of sense because this is the language they would have spoken in. Right, right. And I think it might be the most authentic production I'll ever work on. So it was very exciting to me to think about that, the authenticity of the time of the language and what that would bring to the show. So the process for casting Fiddler is an added step from most other shows in the sense that we also have to test one's ability to speak in Yiddish and to learn in Yiddish. So whereas, let's say, for a musical like Les Miserables, we might send an actor a song or two songs or two cuts from the show to prepare for a callback. For Fiddler on the Roof in Yiddish, we would send them a song and a scene as well as an MP3 of the show's Yiddish coach speaking the material in Yiddish so they could hear it and try to mimic it, as well as a guide to pronunciation. Wow. So they had to prepare, and it was fascinating because the material would have the Yiddish and then underneath it the English translation so they knew what they were saying. It just seems overwhelming to me. I mean, was this a difficult musical to cast? It was because when you think about it, it's a whole skill set that is not common, except for maybe in opera singers who are used to singing in foreign languages. And in this case, we had to find dancers who could dance the bottle dance 
and then speak Yiddish. Did you get a lot of actors and actresses who wanted to to try out for this? Oh, yes. It was overwhelming. I'd say we saw close to 800 people for this show. And is that typical? In an English production, you would see more. But for a foreign language production, this was many, many more people than would usually put themselves up for a show. Wow. It opened at the National Yiddish Theater um, downtown in Battery Park at New York Fafra City. Hall. Mm-hmm. It was slated to close at the end of August. When did it open? uh, It opened on July 4th, and that was supposed to be the extent of the run. It was extended several times, which was very exciting, downtown, and then was transferred to Stage 42 by commercial producers. That's still off-Broadway. Right. And do you have several projects happening at once, or is it just the focus? I can't do anything else now. I'm busy casting Fiddler on the Roof in Yiddish get to me later. I do juggle all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I juggle various casting projects at the same time. And I also juggle the fact that I am a casting director, a director and a teacher. So I juggle all three things, sometimes simultaneously. But um, with casting, yes, because some of my shows are running and I could be in the middle of a Fiddler on the Roof casting session and find out that someone's leaving, let's say, sisters, and I have to replace them at the same time. Or does that not happen with the understudy? I mean, does that still involve you if the understudy is going to take over? Correct. So with your fingers in those three Mm -hmm. pies, and it sounds like all of them give you incredible satisfaction and joy... Talk about the, the, the concept of directing. What is that like for you and what have you directed? Has it been in New York or has it been regionally? Right. I've done a little bit of both. I've directed in New York primarily new plays and musicals at the various festivals like New York Musical Theater Festival. I've also done some work at the Theater Row Theaters. Um, I really like working with new writers and seeing where their work is going to go, being part of that collaborative process from the beginning as a director. And giving them exposure, which is really great. Correct. Mm -hmm. Um, And as a casting director, it's fantastic because I usually think, who do I want to work with in this particular (laughs) show? (laughs) Which gets me a great kind of step ahead of other directors who really want to see days and days of auditions, which is what I do. Mm. For me, I'm usually like, I think I really want to work with that person in this particular show, which is exciting as well. In terms of it, I feel like they all work together quite well. I've directed regionally at theaters like the Arvada Center Theater in Denver. I did Jekyll and Hyde there and Do I Hear a Waltz there. And I've also assisted Jerry Zachs on mm-hmm. two, two plays. He is the master teacher I could watch him direct all day, every day, and never get enough knowledge. So, You know, as, again, personalizing this, I can't imagine, even if you're a veteran or not, that still has to be just so nerve-wracking to get up on that stage and convince somebody that you can do the job. Do you ever walk a mile in those people's shoes? I do. I love actors. I respect them so much for putting themselves on the line, for letting themselves be that Naked. vulnerable, mm-hmm. for having to you know take adjustments that directors are throwing at them in the audition room, for having to usually go through a grueling process of let's cut this line, let's add this, and sometimes having to turn that around between the morning and the show that evening. It's a lot of work, and I I love actors. I respect them very much. Do you have any stories just in general of who you thought should have gotten a part? And do you, quote, fight for that when you think it should be Jane Doe as opposed to Mary Smith? The casting director has a very careful job in that respect. Tenuous, huh? You have to be very careful about pushing 
Because ultimately, we don't make the final decision. And I think that's how casting directors are portrayed incorrectly in a lot of movies and television shows, because they show theater casting directors going, you, you are going to take. And that's actually not the case at all. Mm -hmm. When you look at the team of a Broadway show, for example, there's often six to 12 people behind the table at a final audition. And everyone is involved in that final process. We're not making that final decision at all. How long does it on average take to get to that final decision? At least a month. And so you don't necessarily have gone to bat for somebody. Sometimes. If I know someone, I know that their work ethic is strong. Mm -hmm. If I know that they would really be, because of some background, they would add something to a project, then Mm -hmm. absolutely. Or if I've worked with them before and I can, you know, say to a director, I have worked with this actor. I've cast this actor in another show. They're extremely reliable and easy to work with. Um, then that that's where it comes into play. What's that like when you're sitting, one of those people sitting behind the table? That is my favorite part of my job is the actually sitting in auditions. I take extensive notes on what people sing, what people wear, what their interaction is like with the director. I think about a lot of things when I'm sitting there. I love to watch people audition. I could do that every day. And are you just, like I said earlier, inundated by agents? No, not, not necessarily. Not, so that's, that's no, a I think, myth. Yeah, I think agents are smart mm-hmm. and that they really push when they need to push. And otherwise they say, this is who I have for this project. What do you think? So it's, it's no, I don't feel inundated by them at any given Do you point. work alone or do you have employees that you share the load with? Are it's you a solo and interns. Is that common? It is common, except for maybe in a couple large size offices. It is very common. Was it hard for you to go out on your own or that was just you were ready when you were ready? Well, um, yes. When Johnson left casting, where I'd worked for 10 years, Mm -hmm. closed, unfortunately, I actually didn't go out on my own like the next day. I went to work for directly for Cameron McIntosh right after that. So I was the in-house casting director for him because I maintained the projects that I had had at Johnson Lift, like Les Mis and Phantom, working for him. And then when those projects, like the first Les Mis, started to close and Cats closed the first time, that's when I thought about opening my own office. What does that mean, working in-house? So I literally worked out of Cameron McIntosh's office. So he was your employer? Mm-hmm. Yes. And again, he was always my employer because as a casting director, the producer is the one who hires us. There's just a difference between when you're going to the Johnson Lift office and sitting with six other casting directors all day, mm-hmm. or you're going to a producer's office and doing your job out of their office. Is one more common than the other? Well, I guess more people have their own casting office than work in-house, mm-hmm. but with regional theaters, a lot of the casting directors are in-house. So without necessarily naming names, do you have any kind of horror stories or really funny stories about what that's been like? I think mostly for me, it's been a joy watching people really succeed in the room Mm -hmm. and watching some faux pas that I'll never forget. I'll give you one. Yeah, and you know, of course, of course, love to hear. An actor came in, I will never forget this audition. (laughs) Long ago or recent? Pretty recent. Okay. And sang a song and didn't actually bother to look that the composer of that particular song was sitting behind the table that day. Mm Mm-hmm. And he sang it, and the composer went, I wrote that, and that's not how it goes. Did he have the words wrong or the music? It was kind of like a tempo problem. Ah, okay. Uh You know, and an interpretation problem. Okay. So the composer got up, 
and sat down at the piano and called the actor over and said, this, let, let's work on my song. This is, and the actor was, I think, you horrified. Know, horrified, yes. So nervous. He was pale. He couldn't believe this was happening. And the so composer, he gave his interpretation. He did. Uh-huh. He did. And the composer decided to fix that interpretation. And I was watching this whole interaction thinking, what's going to happen when I walk out in the hall and see this actor? And obviously that person was not cast. Correct. What's it like to be with divas? It's interesting for me because one of the things that I teach to my college students is how your behavior and how your reputation as an actor is one of the most important things that you'll have. And usually being a diva doesn't serve you. I've had many experiences where someone being a diva in the room has cost them the job because the team can sense that attitude. I actually had an experience where a choreographer said to me that they didn't want to see a particular dancer for a show because of a bad experience they'd had with that dancer and that that dancer was not a good company So that reputation preceded that person. It did, and I feel like it's very important for young actors. You know, even when you're starting out, even when you're in college, you're doing summer stock or non-union work, that's, it all begins then, and it follows you. I mean, I have worked with a share of divas, but I tend to gravitate towards the actors who are not. Is that the job of the agent to also educate a young person or a newbie about? It's more than just belting out, give my regards to Broadway. Yes, it's a very fine line, too, of having a lot of confidence, but not showing a lot of ego. It's amazing how uh, humble and collaborative most people are. What's that also like when you've cast the role and then something doesn't work out? Does that happen frequently? Not frequently. But but it does happen, yes. Mm -hmm. Hearing that someone's going to be let go or that their part's going to be reduced always gives me a pit in my stomach Mm. because I feel bad for the actor. I know that I need to go back and start digging again and thinking who might be a better fit for this particular project. So it does happen. It's just not something that happens often. Are you working for more than one producer at a time? Or yes, you're... I do work for more than one person at one time. And do you ever get overwhelmed by that? No, I love it. I love the job. So it feeds your soul, yes. huh? Yes. Yeah, it's like right now, it's a perfect example. I have Fiddler on the Roof running right. at stage 42. I have a couple of shows running off-Broadway couple of them on tour. I'm about to go to California and direct a production of The Music Man. So I've got a lot of different things going on. You know, my semester at Pace's BFA acting program just ended last week, and I love teaching there. So I like I love doing the juggle. I'm honored that you found the time to come here. How do no, you I'm how honored do you, that you had me. I mean, how do you manage that all? Or is this typical? This is typical of theater schedules. I think most theater people are used to the long hours. They're used to the juggle. And if they don't have it, they worry. (laughs) So I sometimes ask my guests this question. If I were your fairy godmother, what would you ask of me? Interesting. I definitely would love to work on some more new Broadway musicals as casting director. I love writers. I love new work. I teach a class here in New York with the musical director, Andrew Wheeler. And one of the things that we do is we invite six writers or writing teams into our class to workshop the beginnings or or middles or ends of new musicals with my students. Mm -hmm. And I love that. I love the idea of collaborating with writers' new work. So casting new Broadway musical would be 
fantastic. Um, also, I want to finish writing a book that I'm writing about the business of acting, ah. which is what I teach at Pace. I teach the industry for the BFA actor, which is the business of acting class. And I've been wanting to write a book to go along with that based on all the knowledge that I've gained from 20 years in the audition room. And so it could I'm be a guide almost, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And that, that is something that I would like to complete this well, summer. That's interesting. The business meaning it's just not simply showing up. Correct. And that one of the reasons that education is so important to me is showing young actors how to succeed in both facets. The talent, yes, but also the business savvy, how to present yourself, what to wear, what your headshots and resumes and business cards should look like, how to take meetings with agents and managers. But isn't that the of job that. of the agent, Jamie Beth, to tell that to a potential not while they're Fine. in college and they're unrepresented, and okay. we need to prepare them for that professional So you're giving world. them the background. Correct. I also want to know if you would love to direct a Broadway show. Absolutely. There is a musical that I've been working on for over 10 years mm. called Warsaw, which is a musical about the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. Mm. It is an incredible show. It's kind of a little bit in the style of a Les Miserables. I've been developing this show for a while. Um, one of the writers who was near and dear to me passed away last year, the composer. And while we were working on it for so long, now it's even more important for a few reasons to tell this story. It's a story that I think needs to be told. I think it's a brilliant show. I would love the chance to do a Broadway commercial production of this show very much. I think now, because it is 75 years since uh, the mm -hmm. Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, mm -hmm. we're telling a story to a different audience. Oh, for sure. Now. Oh, yeah. Um, that generation, there's not very many of those people left to tell their story, for sure. Correct. So the play yeah. is, and the musical is written, correct? It's finished, yes. It's finished. So now it is... It's even orchestrated. It's ready to go, basically. Is this going to be a hard sell? I, I hope it's not a hard sell. We've done a couple of readings, a couple of developmental type of readings mm -hmm. on the piece. We also were lucky enough to be asked to perform the piece as a benefit for a couple of Jewish organizations, as well as Catholic Jewish dialogues in Southern Florida. Um, so that was actually a terrific experience sure. to watch those audiences see this piece, mm -hmm. react to this piece. It's been it's been a terrific journey so far, but I feel like the next step would be a big production, and it's definitely something that I would like to do very soon. And that, based on your background and your expertise, can really have wings. Yes, I think so. So then the deal is when that happens, you'll come back. Definitely. Okay. It's very important to me. One of the things that I think has is, is been such a great part of my full career is that I get to tell a lot of stories where social justice is the topic. And that's something that's just personally very important to me. One of the jobs I had in the city was I worked at the Yip Harburg Foundation. And Yip Harburg was considered to be Broadway's social conscience. Mm. And working there... He's I, a composer. He's a lyricist. Lyricist, Shows like yes. Finian's Rainbow and right. Wizard of right. Oz. But one of the things that I learned working there was just how much telling these important social justice stories really means to me as a creative type. Mm -hmm. And so that is definitely something that I'm looking to do even more. Of. That's the power of art, the power of documentary, you know, that you come away from something and you learn something you didn't know before. Absolutely. 
Well, Jamie Beth, this is just really fascinating. And uh, maybe we'll do a part two down the road. Thank you so much. That'd be wonderful. Great. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein.